friends and welcome to another episode of Fresh Aesthetic, the show where we embark on the search for truth and meaning through creativity, art and pop culture. I'm your host Stephen Garton and today's episode is an interview Matt and I did with Kirsty McKay of Sawmill Brewery. This episode is the season finale and boy is it a goodie. We cover a wide swath of topics from women in business to toxic masculinity to white saviour syndrome to being a young mum while in survival mode and then being completely overwhelmed and burning out. There's a whole bunch more in here but you'll have to listen to find out. If you haven't already make sure you check out Sawmill Brewery at sawmillbrewery.co.nz. Even if you don't like beer it's always good supporting local New Zealand businesses. And if you are listening from somewhere else in the world, welcome. I hope you enjoy the yarns. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and leaving a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. But enough of me talking, and on to the interview. Let's hit it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kirsty. It's so great to have you on the show at last, and we're so grateful for your time today. My first official question is, how would you describe yourself to someone who hasn't met you before? I would say that my friends, if they're being um, kind, which people generally are to you, would say that I'm a good listener and I um, I consider things a lot, which makes me terrible for committees. <laughs> and I sit on the fence on things a lot, um, which is something I've got better at, but... Um, cause I'm always weighing up all the sides of things, very sensitive person, although less than I used to be, which is a good thing. Um, after various experiences, I would say I love conversation. Mm. I love talking through ideas. I love going into a conversation with the, um, you know, deep hope that you come out of it having had your ideas challenged and having other people put ideas to you that are challenging. And I love that kind of conversation. Probably one of my favorite things in the world, actually. It's a good conversation. Yeah, that's cool. I love podcasts is great for that. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, you're in the right place for a good conversation. Yeah. I really like that question because it's a way to lead into the conversation without just leaning on obviously you're a woman yeah. in business you're very successful at what you do and um have done so well for yourself and it just is a way oh, to like you. get in there without going you know it's the classic what do you do rather than like who are you and yes. like get more yes. interesting things out on the table not that what you do isn't interesting but i don't know it's just it's just no, kind of breaking right. away from that how are you what do you yes i love it do you know um my my grandmother and her sister used to call each other all the time and they had this thing because in the old days, obviously phone calls were expensive. And so whoever made the call got to do most of the talking as in it's your call, dear. They used to say all the time. Oh, wow. That's cool. Eh? <laughs> so you get to finish the conversation. You get to say when it's over so that you're kind of in that seat <laughs> where you're like, I, this is my podcast. I'll talk. Yeah. Well, I think Zoom's in that seat because apparently there's a 40 minute time limit on recordings. I didn't know about, but, uh, oh, right. but okay. um, we can, we can make that work if the conversation's vibing, you know? Yeah, we can yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You must get lots of good answers from that. Yeah, well, I mean, some people, because um, I, 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 I relate to what you said when you were describing yourself about, you know, being sensitive and like loving yeah. a good conversation and stuff like yeah. that. And I want to just like jump straight to the yeah. deep stuff, but sometimes people that need a bit more yeah. easing into it than that, you know, they don't just want to <laughs> jump yeah. straight to the, um, to the really deep thing. So you kind of like, <laughs> like okay, coax people? it out slowly. Um, <laughs> And like, I like that yeah. you said um, as well that you you uh, struggle or, or you take longer to make decisions um, and be decisive because you like to think about things, but then you were like, um, oh, mm. like uh, experience in life has changed that a bit. I'm just like, yeah, that's that's mm. like uh, the only only like maturing can sort of do that to you. You don't know that's going to happen in life, you know, um, but as you grow and you're like, oh, like experiences shape you. You change as who you are as a person and um, you surprise yourself, I think. Yes. Yes. And you um, trust your instinct a bit more. Yeah. Well, that's true as well, actually. Yeah. Or maybe you also just sometimes back yourself to say, well, this is how I, what I think and perhaps I'm wrong, but this is what I think. Yeah, totally. I, I found it interesting how you said you kind of tend to sit back on the fence a lot and I tend to do that as well. Mm. And, um, and, and that you said you're like learning to, to get in there and get amongst mm. it a bit more. And I, I found, I find mm. that really interesting because I've, re I really struggle with that. Like to like actually mm. just get in the thick of it, put your ideas out there and, um, maybe it does come from the sensitivity, you know, like afraid that you're going to get wounded or something. I don't know, but, um, mm. Yeah, I really like that. Man, we're going deep straight away. This is this well, is good. If you I mean if you 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 guys obviously love conversation too and when you do your um maybe you're really listening to people so you can you sort of hearing if you're hearing two sides of something is really actually hearing it. And so you're like, "Yes, that's quite compelling." Or I actually know that's compelling too. Like <laughs> So yeah, it's like so you, um, university, yeah, it's yeah. like a university of life, meeting people and having conversation. And yeah. I, like, I felt up until my early, oh, pro probably up until 30, I didn't go to university yeah. until later. And uh, when I did, I was just desperate to expand myself. And I think the only way mm. you can do that is by going around people who are different. You know what I mean? Like it pulls you. Yes. Yes. And honestly, if you can't be um, pulled in another direction, what a shame. If you can't, if you can't be um, convinced of something different, mm. essentially, then that would be a shame, really. And definitely, it? beer really helps that. <laughs> beer really yeah. helps conversation. But we were, we were there the other week and, uh, for Stephen's. Um, at the smoker room. At the smoker room. And yes. uh, for your yeah, the more alcohol I consumed the less I remember what I was saying in the last 10 <laughs> seconds so my it trails off and then uh then I'm in the middle of nowhere with everybody like 10 people looking at me and I'm telling a story and I'm like oh, oh bro I don't know what's going on right now <laughs> it, was, it was such a fun night but um it was cool yeah we had some really good conversations with that so you know maybe it's it's yeah. true that it does it does something to um looseness or your yeah, creative mind yeah i find I mean, it like breaks down inhibitions and like i don't know gets me yeah. uh, putting things out there that i might not normally who knows 
Um, so if you were trying to like describing some of the events leading up to where you are today, like when I think about this question, I think about it, like, you know, when you're watching a show on Netflix and then it goes to the, or goes to the next season and then it shows a quick recap of the previous season. Um, if you were giving like a, a, filling us in on the season update so that we're like having the recap to catch up to (laughs) to events today, how would you do that? Well, actually, today I was talking to somebody about a really formative experience I had when I was uh, in seventh form. Instead of seventh form, I went on an exchange um, and lived in Europe for a year, and I was 16, and I'd never been out of New Zealand. I had been at boarding school, so I was quite independent, I guess, already. But I um, I really learned, you know, it was quite, um, it was hard. I had lovely families and everything, but it was so hard to be away that far without the things that connect you to people now. You know, we just, I was <laughs> explaining to my kids what a fax machine is. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we just had fax. So I think um, that was, that was really when I learned what I was capable of completely on my own, you know, what I could withstand. Um, but having said that, I don't, I wouldn't like to think that every season, you know, every scene recap was some sort of event of suffering. Um, what else has led me to this point? I kind of, I've, I've had a few, I haven't had a really clear career path, I suppose, like most, almost everybody. And I now really appreciate how everything that you've done um, in a slumdog millionaire kind of a way um, feeds into where you are now and what you're able to do now. So is that, you went to uh, Europe, you're 16, you came back home. Um, and then yeah, I came you back said home. you had a bit of a, a different journey than most people go, going forward. What, what did you do when you got back? Well, I guess I had, I didn't have a straight I didn't have a clear career path. I went to university. I studied law, but I honestly never once considered it didn't even cross my mind that I would be really? a lawyer. I just liked the the content and um, I liked the the sort of way of thinking and writing and putting together reason is it's quite different to arts, which I um You know, I liked at school and I did at university as well, but I loved the contrast of law, that you had to be really concise and clear and, you know, everything had a maximum word limit, not a minimum one. Like, make say what you want to say clearly and quickly. Mm, Yeah. Uh, I I loved that. And um, and then I traveled quite a bit. My grandparents had traveled a lot um, when – I was really young and their house was full of all these sort of souvenirs from South America and Korea. They lived in Korea. And so I really wanted to travel, um, which is probably why I went to Switzerland. And um, so I traveled for quite a while and then I came back and wasn't sure what I was going to do. And my dad said, "Um, well, you could be a lawyer. And I thought, yeah, I guess I could. (laughs) <laughs> so I did my professionals at Waikato University, which was an amazing place to do it. And I got an award actually at that um, in that professional course. Oh, they nice. select somebody um, 
at the end, which I didn't know they did, but they still they give an award to the person they think is most likely to make a positive contribution to the legal profession, ironically, since I lasted about two years in it. Um, <laughs> and I was really moved by that experience. I yeah. Um, I certainly wasn't like the loudest or the most, you know, I wasn't the greatest orator in the class or anything like that. So that was really a moving experience for me, that, that award. And then I went to, um, I went a friend, a great friend of mine, Melissa Crawford, she, um, she came across this job advertised that she thought would be great for me. And I applied and got it, which was working at the refugee appeals authority. So you, a kind of a judge's clerk where you do the research for them and they hear the appeal of people who have sought asylum in New Zealand and been declined by immigration. Wow. So they have a right of appeal. Uh, and I love that because you're really doing a lot of research into the situation in different countries and what was happening at the time when they left, why they're seeking asylum. And it's a inquisitorial system, so they're not trying to prove we weren't trying to prove them wrong or right. You're just trying to get the information together and find what's true. That, that'd be cool because of your traveling as well. You'd have probably quite enjoyed the different cultures and stories and things. Yeah, like, I loved it. Oh. I loved I'd, it. Like, when I'm hearing and you speak, so, I'm like, this is, I so relate because uh, I've done traveling for about five years after high school yeah. and it never leaves you. Yeah. Like it never leaves you. Yeah. Um, what it does for you, eh? Oh. What, how... The, how alive you feel and how uh, all sorts of things now. Super grateful. Um, yeah. Uh, you, you're, you're reminded of your own. You see yourself better, I think. Mm. You, you see your own, you know, you see your country better, your culture better and yourself as well. So what, what was your favorite place that you went to? Probably Colombia. I had a really, really? amazing ex- experience there. Yeah, I had an internship there with the United um, Nations, uh, the UNHCR, the High Commission for Refugees. And Colombia has very few refugees, but a huge internally displaced population. Right. Because of the civil oh, yeah, the- war, really, or civil yep. unrest. And I just loved that. It was fascinating. It's a beautiful country, amazing people, completely different to what you know that how they're portrayed yeah stunning so how long were you there for yeah i loved it um i was only there for a few months but i'd lived in chile before that that's cool so i had some some spanish and i traveled a lot around south america before that my brother-in-law's from chile actually he just uh he moved over here like um two two years ago so yeah we were we worked together in the business oh he loves it here eh he it's like a dream for him because he grew up like in some of the roughest suburbs of um santiago so like he was just like i'm never gonna travel i'm never gonna leave the city you know and like um uh and then he met this girl (laughs) that was it how did he meet her uh they were doing a uh like a training uh kind of similar to you she went over there to do some some aid stuff or whatever and they had this um, uh, school together. I love together. Stuff she, or whatever. Well, she was she was teaching. <laughs> that's what I call it because it's, it's you know because like when you te- well, what do you do? It's like man, it's really a, a long and complicated when you're trying to explain. Yeah. So I just say aid stuff. But um, she yeah, was yeah. teaching swimming. 
she was teaching swimming. That's what she was basically doing. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was an avid student. <laughs> and, Aww, uh, that's so cool. Then he came over here. He said he worked. Bro, this guy worked hard out for two years saving up to get a ticket. And then he came over. They, they, they like, she kind of didn't, she was interested, but not really. Like it wasn't a thing. And he came over specifically oh for three months because he was like, I will <gasps> win her. And he did. Now they're married. <laughs> it's romantic. My eh? God. Oh, so she didn't stay that whole time. So they had like two years. Two years apart. Apart where he's just working. Where he's just working to meet this girl. Crazy. Oh, my gosh. And now he lives here. Yeah. And do you think they'll go and live back in Chile? Nah. He misses his family, but he's like, he, he loves New Zealand. Yeah. It's kind of a funny one, Chile. It's quite conservative compared to... Well, it doesn't, it's not like um, quite as flamboyant as some of the other countries in South America. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that whole um, Pinochet regime, lots of people think he was quite, he had similar sort of economic reforms to Margaret Thatcher. So there was a whole sort of middle class that did quite well while other people were, you know, being thrown out of helicopters. And wow. So there's this, yeah. It's quite, uh, it's also a bit more of a colder climate culture, eh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I thought, oh, it's a hot country, but it's actually not. It's it's, uh, it's no. quite mountainous and quite, yeah, a bit, bit colder. That was a fascinating detour, but I'm, I'm interested for you coming back from Colombia, coming back from working, do, doing that kind of stuff, which sounds awesome. Yeah. I did a little bit of, um, I was, when we got back from Colombia, I was really lost and I wanted to be there, but I also wanted to be here with Mike and, um, I got really depressed and we ended up moving to Christchurch. I did general practice law, which I really enjoyed. I'd never done it before. And you just do ordinary things like you wouldn't believe how cool it is to help people write their will. Mm. It's so cool. It's so fascinating because they really are trying to um, control things from beyond the grave and they're reflecting all the things that are important to them over their life and their will and what, how they want things to be. And I don't know, you learn heaps about, um, think a lot about how um, at ease or otherwise people are with the idea of dying and, um, yeah. Yeah, control and all of it. I just loved it. Not, I didn't just do wills. I did lots of other things, but I found that found it really fascinating. And it's um, funny because I think you know I I don't know that I was a super argumentative child, but you know I liked logic and things. And people would often say, "Oh, you should be a lawyer," you know, if you're a bit lippy, a bit kind of <laughs> opinionated. <laughs> and and when I think about it now that it's that isn't a great trait in a lawyer a good lawyer is actually someone who's solutions focused and resolves things and finds a way through not someone who stirs the pot right a bit more like level-headed fair sort of yeah um being able to not be biased and not carried with emotion sort of thing um i think you just want to find solutions. That's really your job, right. not to make it about you and winning all the time. Yeah, that's good. That's good observation. And yeah. that's a good lesson. Yeah. And I think if you come across a lawyer that does, then they're really niggly and 
probably ultimately not that good at their job mm. or not that good for their client because you just want to you just want to find a way through whatever situation has brought them to you and then they get on with their lives people have a really interesting um highly charged sense of justice sometimes that things are fair and i think it's a little bit misplaced there isn't really a there isn't like a policy of fairness across life <laughs> and we can see that that man this is this is fascinating talking to somebody who has been a lawyer say that because I know what you mean, but yeah. I, I haven't been in that world, so I haven't seen it from that side. But I've definitely seen it myself where I've been so, like the terminology I've used is saviour syndrome. It's like you have to be the, the saviour of every situation mm. and be right. You have to win the victory. Mm. You have to, you know, fight the system, do all these things. And um, mm. uh, But I've never seen it from being in a legal world. Mm. So that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you see it all the time in your own life, right? Like, of course, there's no fairness. Things are completely random. What one person's life is, comes along and what, we, what someone else gets. But the more, I wonder sometimes that the more privileged people are, the more, more they think things should be fair, which is sort of ironic. <laughs> yeah, that is very ironic. Um, so, yeah, it's true. Yeah. That is a really interesting point, though. Um, that the more privilege you have tends to be the more you're able to sit there and look at how much privilege you have or not look at it because some people don't even see it, but to sit there and make, or not yeah, look at it. Yeah. Not even make, see yeah, it. Exactly. Or ma- and make all these judgments um, because you're in that place. It's all kind of weird and ironic. And the more you have, the harder it is to see yeah. it sometimes as well. Yeah, totally. So how did you then get from, you went to boarding school, you went overseas, got all this life experience, mm. studied to be a lawyer, but mm. not wanting to be a lawyer. And then how did you go, how does somebody go from that to then being fully immersed in the business world? And, um, and also, I mean, this is kind of like a two part question, I guess, but how has your experience mm. been being a woman in business um, with equality and all of these things? In New Zealand, I know it's a huge topic uh, all over the world, but what's your experience been like in New Zealand as a woman in business? I would say that because really Mike and I have been in business together the whole time, um, I definitely think that the beer industry is quite, quite chauvinistic quite male oriented. If I go to, you know, speak at a beer event or lead a tasting of beers at an event or something, I can see, you can just tell that uh, (laughs) there's a whole bunch of people in the room that think there's no way you know what you're talking about and you certainly don't know as much as they do. Wow. Um, Whereas Mike, who's got a beard and, you know, Definitely looks the part of a brewer a lot more. Would never get that. They'd just be lapping them up, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. So I'll get people that I had one at the last one I did in Dunedin, where a guy came up and offered to come up to the brewery and um, teach me, not in a creepy way, but in a genuinely you don't really know what you're talking about kind of way. Wow. Wait. He, 
He tried to mansplain to you how to do it. <laughs> I'll come and I'll come and explain to you how to do this. That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. But it's not even I mean, it's just funny though. I just laughed. Like, okay. Yeah, because they probably don't mean it like um uh you know, they're not trying to be patronizing, they just don't realise, eh? That it's uh... just don't even realise. And I mean, the thing is that I don't know everything about beer anyway. I mean, I've never brewed I've, you know, I've never brewed a beer myself. But it's in a business there's so much to it that that's not the only you know, you can't double up on all those skills all the time. Yeah. It's just one of the skills you need. Coming back from Colombia, going through that period of being like, I just don't want to be here. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm 35. Yeah. Um, I've I've been in that state for a long time. <laughs> Pro- probably about four four years, five years of being. Yeah. Life is so much more. I just love the cultures. I love. I just don't want to be. Um. You know, I love that whole experience of going to other places, cultures and things, but obviously family life and responsibilities, commitments, and I've started a business now. So that's like, yeah. you know, you know what it's like. So I, can you give me some advice? <laughs> How do you get through that? What do you do? <laughs> oh, oh, look, I don't know. It's just, I think you just get, because you're at a point the first time in your life where you realize that um, one choice um, kind of means you aren't making another. Whereas there's a whole right through, there's a whole period of life where you're like, I'll do that, but I'll also do that and I'll do that. And I'll, you know. Yeah. The, the opportunities sort of come down a bit. eh? Yes. A little bit. And I don't have, I mean, I still sit uncomfortably with that sometimes. Mm. Yeah. So don't come to me for the answer. Thanks. <laughs> I can't answer it either because I've had that thing with fork in the road and you just have no idea and you just take one, but you're like, what was the other one like? I don't know. Um, yes, but you didn't even know there was a fork. You just thought you were just going to do that first and then the other thing next. Or- yeah, right. And then, yeah, yeah life's funny. Eh? You, you think it's one thing and yeah. then it shapes up to be something completely different. Yes. But um, where do we even get up to? Would uh, Women in business, um, somebody mansplained to you how to do beer. Um, when you yeah. go to the beer meetings, you were, you were finding that it was a bit tough? Or, or just like a man's world, not tough, but a man's world? Oh, it is a bit of a man's world. But, you know, I think because the way that we started in Lee um, and there was there was Mike and I, we had a new baby, so we were kind of, I mean, when we took over the brewery, Mike was there every single day, like seven days a week for at least the first year because you have to check the beer all the time and we didn't have any other people on our team and I was doing just every waking moment doing you know trying to keep it afloat it was tiny tiny when we started I mean we were making the first year 25,000 liters of beer a year which we'd easily make in two or three days now Mm. so it's really it was super little you know so it didn't make much money um when we I was at the market every weekend selling beer so we were kind of in and the, the other breweries at the time, and there were very few, were mostly um, 
Wellington and Nelson, and I imagine that they kind of hung out together a bit more. Yeah. But we didn't really have anything to do with anyone else. <laughs> and so that was challenging, but that was really the making of us. And so I guess I haven't personally, Mike has a lot more, but I haven't had a lot to do with the, with the um, beer industry. I love beer. I love, um, I love our business, but I'm probably more interested in the business and its role in the community and what it is for our team than I am in the beer scene, which right. is probably because it's pretty blokey. And just that, I don't know, they always seem like they were younger guys that, you know, didn't, weren't in, they were, I didn't see a lot of people in my, position you know with young children the juggle of running the business I know that those people exist that those women are there because there are lots of there are you know there's a bunch of breweries that are family run or run by couples but often we were we were the ones that weren't at those events you know or we weren't there so we didn't really have a scene there's a thing called pink boots which is um women in brewing and it's all about empowering woman in the brewing industry but I was so head down and you know trying to juggle everything that I didn't even know that that existed for so long and I didn't know what it was and I didn't even bother to look it up you know (laughs) they actually came to the brewery one year and did a brew and I just missed the whole thing you know I was there but not even engaged with what was going on Mm. it was so hectic when we had we had three little kids, I mean, it was clearly too much, but it just was what it was. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, I'm almost feeling the overwhelm and in your story because that's that's a lot yeah. of things to juggle at one time. And um, I guess a question that could come from this is like, if you were say mentoring a young woman woman wanting to go into business yes. and you were yeah. trying to distill all of this <laughs> life advice into something that this young person could take on board like I mean yeah. I know you'll just have a wealth of wisdom that's slowly brewing over time pardon these ridiculous puns but um it just <laughs> I, 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 I'm just really See, I missed it Such I missed a it. <laughs> thank you for pointing it out though. yeah no worries no worries um <laughs> it was terrible I wish I didn't um I uh, just You've you've obviously gone through a lot, and I hear kind of in your story a bit of like survival and just yeah, um, totally. grit, yeah. determination, and also yeah. like just holding on for dear life because yeah. you don't have anything else you can do, and if you don't, then you'll yes. drown. And um, yes, and I, yeah, I guess I'm just really like <laughs> yes. you must be a goldmine of knowledge for any young people coming up in business and I'm, I'm around young people all the time cause I'm a mm. teacher. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just always like thinking about how to take wisdom and pass it on. And it's tough sometimes cause they don't have the life experience and that's not their fault. Like, of course not. But cause like today yeah. I was, I was, I was trying to, I teach music and I was trying to, um, 
just get across to to a teenage boy that the piece they were playing I'm like it was John Legend's All of Me and I showed him a, yeah. a live video of it and I'm like this song is about heartbreak this song is about like losing everything and or, or putting all of yourself into a relationship and it takes so much guts it takes everything yeah. you have um and try and like invest some of that when you play it, like try and communicate that story when you share it. Um, so, but it's just like, if you don't have the life experience, I'm like, come back in 10 yes. years and you'll probably understand yes. a bit more about what I'm then talking he'll, about. He'll kill it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get your heart broken a few times, but um, yeah, yeah totally. I'm just, I'm just really curious about your, your experience and what you, how you would share that to the next generation. I think, um, I mean, on my experience, when I think about what was hard, mine is as someone who's, um, you know, the primary caregiver and also involved in running a business. And I think you, I don't know what it would have looked like if I had a, had, had better boundaries, Like maybe we would have, the business would have struggled more. I sort of doubt it, but at the time it feels like that. And I think what you do is that you can you can do a lot, but it doesn't mean that it's remotely enjoyable or or good for anybody. And so you tend to go to the, your limit of what you're cap- what you are capable of, but it's not as good for anybody, you know. And I would advise people to be um, wary of setting that as your limit. But I notice a lot, you know, mm. we with younger people that are um, in our team now. They're very conscious of work-life balance theory. They are not the old pool 80 hours a week to climb the ladder type people. Maybe that's the people that are just coming into our team. But I think you could be on to something for, you know, what the next generation is. And I'm curious, like, what that is. That Have they just looked and observed that it doesn't work? And mm. they've seen us all, <laughs> all the older ones get mm. burnt out and jaded and... And they're like, yeah, I don't want that. Yeah, it could be. I mean, none of them are run. None of, and you know, ultimately, we we carried the risk of it. So, you maybe you do have to work a lot harder when the buck stops with you and your. Mm. Uh, maybe that's slightly different to being um, an employee. Yeah, it's true. But maybe you feel like you have more security and you can set boundaries a bit more easily. I think it's been talked about a lot more as well since uh, the last like two, two, three years with COVID and working from home. Yeah. It's a massive topic yeah. now and people are going like, oh, you know, I've read in the newspaper the other day, they were saying that they're trying to get people back into offices because they just can't keep accountability for the work that's happening. And yeah, so it's like, how, how do you do that? And then Elon's like firing people who aren't turning up, you know? So it's all this, wow. uh, uh, how do you, how do you um, juggle the new era of what work's going to yes. look like? We're in a new era. It, it happened two years ago. We're trying to figure out how the world works now. And um, I think, yeah, I've been more conscious of a work-life balance. I never gave, I never cared a couple of years ago. Eh? <laughs> and now I'm like, well, like you said with your um, emails, you blocked your emails. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Would you have done that when you were a lawyer? Well, I didn't really get them at night. I wasn't that important, you know, oh, okay. I was just a minion. And so people didn't email me at night. <laughs> <laughs> 
But it's not even like I'm so important now or same with Mike that we have to, we're not neurosurgeons, you know, we can't, not, not like people have to reach us at all hours. It's your own boundaries. You know, you have to set them yourself. It's not that people need us at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hey. Yeah, it's yourself because you've got yourself into a habit. You can um, really lose a balance in your life with, you know, having hobbies or other interests and when you throw yourself into a business. And and sometimes it's awesome and, you know, it's really your baby. But, yeah, you can that much. I don't know if this was your experience, but for me it was like it was so wrapped up in ego. It was like when, when yes. in my tw- throughout my 20s it was throwing absolutely everything into it because it, it was my passion, but that was definitely mixed in with, first of all, yes. like the wounds of childhood and like trying to prove yourself and like, yes. like I'm actually okay and I, uh, I can look after myself and I'm actually a, a really good person. And you've had yeah. this, this like monkey on your shoulder feeling like you need to prove something or be something or be worthwhile by doing and achieving. But, um, yeah, it definitely yeah, led me. So true. Yeah, and it led me to just this really crazy place. I read this book that changed my life, but it basically it was talking oh, about. What was it called? It was it's called Falling Upward. Um, but it was it's yeah. about the second half of life and 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 the ego and how in your mm. uh, the first stage you're trying to really life. push through and achieve and do all this stuff, and then and, and suddenly you're like it's what am I doing? Like, what's the end goal here? What am I trying to, it it doesn't stop. And you suddenly see the treadmill and you're like, Oh my goodness, I could be on this for the rest of my life. If I don't, if I don't hop off and reconsider like what my values are and, or even just look at some of the, the wounds and the darkness within yourself, like head on rather than avoiding it, look at it head on and going, Oh wow. I'm trying to please people by, working way longer than I should to the detriment yeah. of my family. And it's just leading, going to lead me into a dark place and I need to change. Yeah. I think that is changing. I think that people don't think that that is so admirable anymore. Whereas I think maybe we grew up being somehow told that, you know, hard work and graft were the, one of the greatest things you could ever do. <laughs> And we're hustle culture. My goodness, was that popular for a while? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the irony is the amount that we work now, the generation that said mm. hard work, they worked way less than us. <laughs> and mm. we, we, we have to work yeah. harder because of the economy and because of living costs and because houses subscribe cost, to Because houses cost a million yeah. dollars to buy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think they did um, – Probably everybody had a role to play in the community, which um, they didn't wouldn't necessarily have thought about it like this way at the time. But it gives you, um, you know, that book, The Resilience Project, and he talks about empathy or doing things for others. It's one of the best things you can do in your life, and so they would have all done that. But we've got we got ourselves into a position where we almost didn't have time to be on the fire brigade, or you know down there mowing the lawns at the golf club or whatever it was, you know, Oof. at church cooking meal. Yeah, that's true. We lost that. Do you know I think um, it's really interesting about this working from home lark is it's so 
it is really difficult to have a strong team culture if you don't have your team together. Really mm. difficult. I think that was our biggest challenge in lockdown is that all the all the kind of logistics, we got onto that pretty quick. Um, you know, we got websites set up really quick for online sales and we got the jobs were getting done, but maintaining a strong culture was the hardest thing of all with people not together. That's the, I think that's the biggest um, price you pay if you don't have your team in one place. How important is that culture? I think it's the most important thing. I um, subscribe to the thinking of a guy called Michael Henderson. He wrote a book called Above the Line anyway. He's a Kiwi guy and he's a cultural anthropologist. I like that. He says that you cannot execute a strategy without culture comes first, strong culture, then strategy. And I 100% subscribe to that. Yeah, so I, 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 I think culture is everything, really. It's what makes somewhere a decent place to work, and it's what allows you to have a strategy that you can execute. You just you can't really do it without one. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah. I, I, we talk a lot about on the show, and I know I, I messaged you this as well, but about suffering mm. and how it shapes your journey and who you are today. Um, <laughs> we've kind of like covered so much of it already, but I'm really curious, like bringing it all together. Um, you alluded to depression briefly. Um, yeah. and I know Matt's shared about it on the show and he won't mind me talking about it, but he's gone through burnout and depression himself. And so yeah. he'll obviously have some commiseration there as well, but like yeah. all of this, cause, and you, and you said you went off to boarding school, which, which kind of crafted this bit of resilience if, if yeah. I heard you correctly. And, um, I, just the way that all that comes together, it's like all of these things. And we're talking about, about how you, you could come to a crossroads in life, but really mm. you, you're just on a path and you, all of these things come together in a sense, like you think they're just random occurrences and then suddenly yes. you're like, Hey, I'm drawing on this thing from like 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. So like, how has that all come together for you when you're going about your day today now? And I know you've talked a yeah. little bit about this with, um, how you've got better boundaries and stuff like that, but how is yeah. all of this this journey and this some of the hard things you know like juggling all these things as a young mom and everything like that yeah. how is that defined how you kind of look at the world today i remember asked a few years ago i asked a friend who had run a business since he left school really and i was like what do you still get you know is it still stressful and he said well not really because everything's happened now at least once before so <laughs> And I, I think there is a little bit of that now where things come up that would have sent me into a tailspin before. And now um, because of lots of, you know, better boundaries and a different mindset that you can see that your job the essence of what you do when you run a business is just constantly you're finding solutions. You know, that's the creativity piece in it. You're, that's what you're doing the whole time. That is your job. And so you now I have so much more confidence that there'll be another, there'll be the, um, the other side of this. You know, you'll get to the other side of whatever it is. And 
And recently, um, through COVID, for all sorts of totally understandable reasons, quite a few of our really senior team left. And at the time, you know, we felt like we were experiencing that great resignation and it was just like couldn't take one more. Um, and now, now we think, well, we've got a, an amazing team, you know, that's come out of that, that we've rebuilt. And, um, so what you think is going to be, uh, you know, isn't there a great children's story about that? Um, they think it's something terrible. It's going to be something terrible. It turns out to be something great. There is something like, um, the farmer's ox died. And he thought it was the worst thing ever. But then, do you know? What I, I'll try and find it. It's a great kid's story that basically says, if you think something's going to be terrible, maybe it'll be great. Mm. Oh, that was a bit of a tangent. We had a big fire at the brewery about three years ago, and it was kind of an interesting experience for us. It didn't feel tragic or we weren't heartbroken or anything, but it was really exhausting, the process of rebuilding. And then on top of that, with all the lockdowns and everything, I definitely got burnt out and it took me a year to realise what what it was because I think you'll know, Matt, it feels different to being depressed but sort of like, like I'd find myself going, am I depressed? I don't think I'm depressed but I feel something else and I didn't know what it was and did you have that feeling where you took a while to work out what it was uh probably post depression as i was coming out of it it never yeah. came right and but for me i looked at it as the adrenaline reserves go like a you know adrenal fatigue yes that's it it's like your adrenaline's gone out and then you're like yes. okay i'm not back to normal but everything's functioning yes um but the the ability to just whew, it's power yeah, on. It, it's sort of yes. it's sort of not there in the same capacity. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know if that's it, but yeah, that's totally it. But well, that's how I felt. And all the literature says, you know, um, I guess all the literature I came across is aimed at people who can leave their jobs. You know, it says, oh, you should leave your job or reduce your hours. And <laughs> I uh, sort of, um, we, I, Mike and I talked about that 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 would be what I would do. But because of everything that was going on at work, I just couldn't really. And so I've had this process that to me has been interesting to kind of work through it, but while you're staying in the same. So mine, mine's had to be completely a mental shift rather than a physical one, if that makes sense. Wow. So I've had to kind of t- change my mindset on the job. <laughs> And it's been really good. I think it's been at least partly successful. I'm certainly way more appreciative now. I possibly don't hold things quite as tightly. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you said that really stuck out to me, you said how you see yourself as creatively solving problems or I can't remember the exact wording, but I found that really cool because I've heard it described so many times as putting out fires. Um, and in my job as a, I, I do a bit of tech support for a church as well. And so I'm yeah. constantly doing what feels like putting out fires, you know, going from one problem yeah. to the next. And I love the way that you describe that as your creative processes, looking for solutions. Um, it's just such a, it's a subtle 
shift in mindset, but man, that can make a, re- a world of difference to your day-to-day way that you look at things and, and can stop you from getting yeah. jaded, I think. Yeah, and I think there is, um, I don't know if that's what you're alluding to, but there's a difference because I do recall saying to Mike a few years ago, I think I've realized our job is just to solve problems the whole time. That, that's not distracting us from our job once we accept that. But now I would say it differently in that we're finding solutions. I don't um, necessarily look at everything as a problem so much as, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but more like an opportunity to find a solution. And then when you get to that point, you're a little bit better off than you were before. Yeah. You know a little bit more, either a little bit more about yourself because you stuffed it up or a little bit more about how to do it properly. Mm. But I think there is, I don't know, like if you're putting out fires, that could feel a little bit like you get worn down by the fire, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't feel like this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Super cheerful tonight. (laughs) So you've started a business. It's it's obviously gone really well. Like it's, I I look at the branding, the the creative direction of it. It's so funky, but it mixes in this rustic element as well. It's got parts of local, like you talk about environmental conservation. Um, You're partnered with Blake. Um, You're doing all this really cool stuff that like, juxtaposes the rustic kind of tied to the land um which is awesome but with the funky new branding of that's like it just looks so modern and cool um oh my god you're my favorite customer (laughs) you know how you sometimes you feel like people don't necessarily get your what you're doing or get your business. Oh, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board. Yeah. I can hear that. I can hear that. We, we were like, we need the sawmill. We need the, like, <laughs> we, we as sawmill fans. I'm going to promote you to a focus group where you just say nice things about us. Oh, I, <laughs> seriously. I would do that. I would do that. Sign me up. We um, got sold on the doctor. It was when we had the doctor. Oh yeah. So good. It, it was like a conversion experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it just won a trophy actually at the beer award for its category oh that's amazing it's well deserved i know so deserved it's a it's a superstar that beer i think um i think we've yeah we've had a more we've really had a different to me i look at it um we've had quite a different path to a lot of other Right. I was going to kind of go, yeah. l- uh, lead to like, how's uh, that been? Because you you started ages ago, eh? You bought it off somebody? or Yeah, about 12 years ago now. But it was already going. So the brewery already had been set up by a couple and they'd rented a shed from the Lee Sawmill Cafe. They had a brewery going in the little shed and we bought that from them. What was the competition like back then? Well, there wasn't really. I mean, there were other breweries, but there were demand was you know like we we had a couple of beers in victoria park new world when we took over and the buyer was like please can we have all your beer i mean that's not really the experience you have with supermarkets anymore um having said that food stuffs have been good to us but there was not many breweries and i mean even now i don't know that we feel necessarily that competitive with other breweries other independent breweries you really for a long time maybe um Maybe slightly less so now, but for a long time you were really competing to take market share from the big breweries. But at the same time, you can't compete with Lion. I mean, they crush you. So it was sort of like you're just doing your own thing, 
people would often ask who our competitors were and I think the competition was to try and convert more people to good beer, not necessarily to steal someone else's spot. Yeah, maybe a bit more so now. Now it's got a little bit more um, gruelling out there. Yeah, because like craft beer just suddenly exploded. I don't know when it was, but it just suddenly became a thing. Yeah, um, didn't it? And and I almost think for you guys, maybe it was great that you you had your time at the at the start to kind of learn all the lessons and not, like yeah. figure out what works, what doesn't. Yeah. And so then when it had this explosion of, I feel like you're in the supermarket now and everything is just vying for your attention in the beer yeah. aisle. Um and. I don't know what's that been like for you guys. Was it like okay, we 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 can fight with this because we're um, we've got our kind of brand established, or mm. like you were saying before, you you don't really see it as competition or a supermarket's not mm. even your main source of income. Um, well, we were definitely in, uh, we were definitely focused more on on premise, which is restaurants and bars and cafes when we started. Because I guess instinctively to us, it felt like people would have a good experience and then go and look to buy your beer elsewhere. So we didn't have a big focus on selling through supermarkets, but we do now, much more so. But we do have long, long, great relationships with bars and restaurants, particularly um, smaller places, which tend to not be contracted if they're smaller. And so they tend to be owner-operated Places like Coco's Cantina, you know, we've supplied them for years and years. Vultures Lane. Um, so there's really long relationships there, which is sort of why you do these, you know, why you're in business for the relationships, ultimately. That was where we were. I think it, for us, it, we had a friend, um, Rachel O'Malley, who came and worked with us. She probably started uh, two years after we bought the brewery so really really early on and she's incredible and she really helped us to she pulled out of us what we were there for what was unique about sawmill she's responsible for the whole look of you know making sure it looked like us the whole brand really she drew it out of us and she was she's incredible and I think because of that when we kind of looked up after a few years we knew what we were about and we looked quite different to the, a lot of the other breweries. We were quite uh, not slick, but paired back. We didn't have cartoons or gimmicky names or any names really, apart from the doctor, on any of our beers. And, and I think then we just basically, you know, once you kind of get a hint of what you're, what you were like <laughs> as a brand. Um, and to us, it, because we've never had another brand, it was always a reflection of us. Like only recently has it occurred to me that people would create a brand that was nothing like themselves. This has such been so incredibly personal that it's, you know, we didn't decide or maybe it would be a good idea for a marketing perspective to create an environmentally aware brand. You know, we just wanted to run a business like that. I think that's so refreshing to hear in this day and age when you walk through the supermarket and see all of these green-washed mm bottles of shampoo and you're mm. just like 
Dude, you're just you're just banking in on the yeah. on, on the uh, on the whole environmentalism thing. You've just got the same plastic bottle yes. filled with your shampoo. It's you're just trying to yes. sell it to me now. In fact, my kids um, are trying to tell me how great Nike was because they have this thing called Return to Zero or something now, and they have a new symbol on their oh, boxes. Yeah. <laughs> have yep. you seen it? And I was like, what? They've just done that in twenty twenty two, like. Where have they been under a rock? You know, I was like, this is so shallow. But what it's I probably because they were forced to. Forced to. And I thought, but actually, what was cool is that they think it's cool. That's what's good. Even though it's mm. um, paper yeah. thin, it's great. Yeah. You, you can use that to, to help, like any, any little bit to yes. help towards uh, helping the planet. And look, maybe they are doing great things. Who am I to? Slate night, you know, they've done very well. <laughs> I'm always um, looking at like trends and, and things like that, especially with, um, you know, I love, love looking at the next 10, yeah. 20 years and thinking where's things going to go and generational cycles yeah. and things. And uh, when we, I was in university, one of the things we studied at is the trajectory over the yeah. next 10 years, like where are people going to be at in 10 years and um, the pull away from corporate sort of yeah. capitalism. Uh, is is getting so strong now that people, you know, they say if something, I can't remember the figure, but they say something like if there's a, if you can buy it yeah. locally or you can buy it and use it, you pay 5% right. more or something. Well, that that's, that's steadily going up. People are paying more and more just to, to get something locally because they value the, um, you know, we've seen the, even now, like the, the rise of markets, like, with mm. groceries and you know going and buying your stuff in the markets is happening more um people are becoming way more conscious and i just think the next mm. 20 years it's going to be massive how the the next generation consumes things perceives the business yes. world yeah, yeah so interesting um this i just love this stuff and i think i've probably found my tribe a little bit more in this area of the business than in the beer and <laughs> the beer scene to a degree that mm. this is what I think is really interesting is how you adapt and make sure that you're the kind of business that we need to have. Cause we're always going to need manufacturers. We can't take our way out of, I suppose we can maybe 3d print food or make it all in a Petri dish, but we'll most likely still have <laughs> manufacturers and we need to be, really clever about how we operate. We've come to see um, it's a super creative industry that we're in for us because we aren't necessarily trying to be super wild with the beer. Our creativity, our innovation is in the business. What we're trying to make is really, really good, high quality beer, you know, the best quality beer that you'll buy. Maybe not the only beer you'll buy, but super reliably high quality. So does that mean in the future you're going to, like how, where do you see your guys' role with the sawmill going in the future? How do you, where do you want to take it? What is it what's it going to look like in, in five, ten years' time from now? I think this is what's been really invigorating for us, actually, is seeing that we are one of the leading breweries in terms of our innovative business practice. And then it gives you a bit more motivation to keep doing that, keep being there. And I'd love to see a shift across our industry. But when I think about industry now, I probably think of it more as manufacturing rather than just brewing. Mm. It's a much bigger group and we share a lot more. 
we share have a lot, you know, we all have a lot in common. We're big resource users, all, all of us or most of us use a lot of, most manufacturers use a lot of water, a lot of power, burn a lot of fossil fuels. How can we do a better job of that? Yeah, I love that. And share it, you know. Not everybody has the time or the energy to put into it that's needed, so you have to be able to share that information and make it easier for people and not. Remember Tim Brown saying that when he did uh, announce that they were collaborating with Adidas, he said something like it's a race that we're all running. It doesn't really benefit anybody to Mm. have a competitive advantage at being, you know, by saying, well, you know, for example, we're the only B Corp certified brewery in New Zealand and that's a nice little line to be able to pull out, but it would be awesome to say instead we're the first and the others. 20 <laughs> that'd be much better for everybody if that were the case yeah the um i've done like uh aid work um whatever that is for for about 10 years or something and um i got so disillusioned by a lot of it to be honest because mm. i was like you know you'll have seen this too you go over to help thinking mm. that you have the answers and you just complicate a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> so most of most of aid work then gets spent on undoing the aid work you've just done. And then once you've done that, you're like, oh, we've got to undo the aid. There's this um, uh, place in Cambodia and it was like, you know, um, I'm not, not because there's some great yeah. organizations, so I can't yeah. do blanket statements, but um, they were like build a well in Cambodia. And there's this one street in, in Cambodia that has like, a well every couple of meters, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it didn't, you know, the idea didn't work, but, um, it, if you're thirsty on that street, you know, oh you're spoiled for choice. Um, but you know, th- so, so things like that. And then coming away and I came away with the idea that the, the number one way to bring change is, is actually just business. Like stop, there, there was something in me going, if, if a business mm. is running well and ethically, it has yeah. more influence because it's, it's, it's empowering people. It's not sucking up. It's not going in with all these answers. It's actually empowering people, empowering communities when it's running well from your staff down to your customers, down to your networks, uh, you know, uh, your supply chains, all of that is, is, um, is, when it's done yes. ethically, it makes a bigger yes. difference than putting a well on a street where there's another 200 wells, yes, you know? Yes, totally. And, and I think, um, I mean, I'm probably quite naive in that I'm astonished that this is not how business has always operated with a sense of um, obligation to the community and the environment in which it operates. But it absolutely has not. Yeah. I was trying to explain it to a bunch of year 11s and 12s the other day that were part of a Blake group. Uh, it was like going, you know, you guys will find this hard to believe, but businesses operate, traditionally operate to entirely to suit themselves. And I, I think for them that, I mean, none of them are in business, obviously. So, but to them, it would probably just be the weirdest thing to think that you would do that. No, that they're entirely self-serving, or they have been. Yes, the profit, eh? Like, yeah, and that that real corporate model or corporations, you know, the American corporation that's just there for the shareholders. Be damned with you, rest of you. And that's that's a the huge question there that you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with donor economics. No. Okay, so it's yeah, it's basically like the whole idea of shareholders have to always see profit. Yeah, and it, 
you know, and um, so it keeps growing, it keeps growing. And the question is, what does it look like for something to die or mm. come to an end mm. gracefully? Does that even exist in business? Yeah. And can it exist? I think it should. I think we should be able to create businesses that serve uh, yeah. time periods. Imagine that, like this business, will you start a business and it's like, this business will be the best business around for yeah. the next 20 years and then it's quits. <laughs> the problem will be solved by then. Totally. I mean, well, we sell alcohol, so there's a real possibility of that. No, there's definitely a sense that, I mean, I kind of grapple with this question a lot. I'm desperate for someone to ask me in a crowded room, you know, So, because now that I've grappled with it, I'm ready to answer it. Like we talk about all these things, but we sell alcohol. So how do we reconcile that? And I guess I have an answer. Um, <laughs> well, what, how do you reconcile just, that? Just, yeah, <laughs> just imagine that we just asked you that question. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Did you ask? Yeah, I thought you asked that. Um, I think because we're in, if we were to remove ourselves, it wouldn't reduce the consumption of alcohol by the amount that we produce, you know, there'd just be a vacuum that would be filled. So I guess um, we're operating in that category um, to provide what we think is a better option for people yeah. in terms of the way the business operates. This is a Guinness story, right? Well, I sort of always feel a bit like someone from Philip Morris when I say that, which is weird, but um, I think we also have the ability to, um, you know, we released a non-alcoholic beer last year, which is our most popular six pack now by far, which is amazing. I'm really immensely proud of it. And there's a inclusivity sort of mm. ethos about it allows me to feel like we're not just pushing booze the whole time. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I'm, I'm just uh, blown away by that because I, when I think back to growing up and, and Kiwi culture with my mates and stuff like that, it's always, it's always like you have to have a drink in your hand at the yeah. party because it's, it's almost like your mm. little security blanket. And if you don't have one, somebody's like, well, where's your drink? Are you yeah. drinking something? Um, and then it's never, for drinking for the sake of being present and just yeah. really enjoying the flavors of it. It's, it's, it's drinking nonstop until you can't yeah. see straight. Um, and so that, I think that's changing I and, do too, um, yeah. and, and, and you start to, to hear about, like I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and I hear lots of people talking about how they're sober now mm. and kind of the events leading up to that and, I know it affects diff people differently. Like some people have more of a problem with it than others and blah, blah, blah. But it, yeah, I just, I, I'm really inspired by that. You know, just the fact that that toxic culture mm. of you have to binge and then, and we had to have all of those ads on TV about if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot yes. and all of that. Um, Cause it was such a problem and, and probably yeah. still is, but yeah, it's cool to hear that that is changing. Do you think um, from where you sit, craft beer or independent beer plays it differently? I love this question. Um, and I love that you're asking us questions. It's great. <laughs> this is like, as an interviewer, it's like, this is cool. Um, well, I'm not really sure because I would, I would probably desperately try and make a case for yes, but am I delu de de delusional? Well, I read, I read this. I can't even remember where I heard this or read this. I listened to so many things that... Um, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Somebody said that they 
would come home from work every single, oh, that's right. They went to a therapist and they were trying to figure out yeah. their drinking problem. And they said, I just go home every day and I just smash like 10 craft beers in a row and blah, blah, blah. And then they sorted out with the therapist. That's right. It was in the book, The Wisdom of Your Body by Hilary McBride, an amazing book. Um, anyway, she was counseling this person and they figured out that alcohol was the defense mechanism. Mm. And, it, you know, it was it was really just every time anxiety mm. boils up, you, you pour on the alcohol to mm. bring it back down again. Um, and this person was doing that and they just weren't present at all with yeah. what they were doing. But then talking through that defense thing and starting to get some awareness around that of what they were doing and realizing oh, I'm just every single time I've got emotions that I can't regulate myself, I just pour mm. alcohol onto it. And that seems to do the trick or at least numbs the pain for long enough that I can, um, you know, have some semblance of enjoyment in my life. But then as they went through therapy and got that sorted out, they started to they came back and they were like, man. I just had one the other night and I was just sitting there yeah. really enjoying the flavors again and not just like drinking it from start to finish mindlessly without yeah. not even knowing what I'm doing. So there's this, this kind of presence of being yeah. where you are actually being there and not thinking about what's coming tomorrow or any of the other worries, millions of worries in our lives. But um, yeah, I just, I just thought that was, that was interesting because it's like, it's not just with the really average beers, yeah. you know, like I think I'm just getting pictures in my head of my uni mates stacking towers of double yes. browns in their, um, in their dorm rooms. And it's not just that it's the mm. why, like, what, what are you doing with this? Why is it, what, what are you hiding from? Yeah, that's right. And we don't have any, control over what people are drinking for yeah and i'm sure you know so heaps of them won't be for good reasons <laughs> yeah totally but you, i mean you could say that with other things like um watched uh what is it dope sick on on disney plus about oxycontin and the huge epidemic that came from that and this isn't mm. the same thing because that was just dishonest and it was like like tricking people and into taking pharmaceutical yeah. medicine that um they were really just yes. out to make a profit and it was pretty yeah. disgusting. But I guess there's a semblance of a similar idea here where anything, if misused and overused, has the power to to destroy yeah. lives. You know, like owning a rifle isn't inherently yeah. bad, but, you know, if you're, I don't know, how if you're shooting your neighbor yeah, I don't know what, yeah. it, it, some of the pro gun problems in America you, you yeah, get yeah. what I mean yeah I do yeah but it is a, it is a confronting question for anyone producing alcohol I think yeah do you think no that like because when you started saying like you know almost defending <laughs> the make, making alcohol like yeah. so I'm from Scotland yeah. I grew up in Scotland came over here when I was 18 yeah it wouldn't even cross my mind to think like it's just, and I noticed when I came to New Zealand, like it does have a, a, a more binge culture, yeah. like Scottish people drink probably more, yeah, all the time, but they don't all the time, yeah. but they don't hold it in the same light. It's almost like, cause you've traveled, you'd yeah. have seen that in Europe yeah. and France, you, you drink wine at the table as a kid. Yeah. It's like, you don't, 
you don't need to like to me alcohol is something that um it makes me merry yes and i don't need an excuse beyond that you know you know what i mean like yeah. i don't have to be like oh it helps me escape it doesn't no i just like feeling intoxicated <laughs> like i like the uh, and I, I enjoy the experience yeah well that's such a good scottish person's answer it, i it feel is. like um that's how we think of scots as being like really happy to get drunk that's a good thing that's <laughs> It's fine. Yeah, she's trying to say you're just you're, you're a walking it's cliche awesome. right now. No, I'm just. But who doesn't want to be a Scottish cliche though? That's great. The, the other thing I'd say is, in New Zealand, yeah. I don't know if this is uh, full on. I don't want to uh, contradict you or anything, but um, if I want to buy craft beer, yeah, I don't go to uh, low socioeconomic areas because mm. if I go in there, they don't stock it. Yeah, well, it's expensive, eh? relatively. Yeah, I went into I went into a place and I was like, all all the beer they had in there was cheap get drunk beer, you know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and you, you know, you're you're familiar with the story of Guinness? No, you mentioned it before. Can you? Oh, so Guinness was. I'm going to give you an idea here for a beer. There you go. Um, not not in a patronizing way that you don't know about beer. <laughs> Are you mad explaining beer right um, now to the? <laughs> you're mad, you're my mate at the um. Yeah, totally. So good. No, nah, so Guinness was because everybody was getting drunk, or and it was, they it was part of the culture in Ireland to get to go and have beer after work. But they were spending all their money. They didn't have enough money to buy food for their families. Yeah. Um. And so the idea was, how do we make a really cheap beer that has nutrients in it that means that people are going to be more full? They're not going to drink as much, and they'll have money for their families, and they'll be healthier. Now, here's my, is it true? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You you can Google it. Um, <laughs> Everything <laughs> on Google's true. Well, that makes it true. No, no, it's true. It's true. But here's really? the thing that here's the uh, what I think there's a market for currently is healthy beer. I if I go and I'm looking for something health and kombucha's starting to do it. Kombucha's coming into that market because people go, oh, it's good for you. You know, I have no idea what it does, but everybody knows. It's good for your stomach or something like that. Do you mean like a probiotic beer? If there was a probiotic beer, is there a probiotic beer? Um, Not as far as I know. Because I would buy it. Would you? Because I would go to buy beer and I'd just be like, oh, I don't want to be unhealthy. I don't want to be, you know, carving it up or whatever. Actually, I do because I'm trying to get as much carbs as I can. You know, I don't, I'd, I'd be like, where's the healthy option? We do that in everything now. Where's the healthy option? But I feel like only a Scottish person would go, I want a really healthy drink, but I also want it to get me drunk, you know? like <laughs> that, that That is true. I want the best Where, of every world. In New Zealand, we'll go, okay, I'm going to drink kombucha and then I'll drink it all day and then at night I'll have all my beers, you know? Well, that might be true. It might just be a separate thing. You might just have to keep that separate. You're trying to do the two things together which is cool or it's it's the concept of guinness again though it's like how do you make it healthy how do you make it um a vitamin c beer well they do that um (laughs) you know they have these beers in europe that are really low alcohol three or four percent it's beer is a kind of in germany they have before the beer becomes alcoholic it's called malt beer oh yeah and it's because it's super nutritious it's got all these um, vitamins and, you know, it's got all the goodness from the malt in the beer and it's properly fermented out and it's really low alcohol. And so all the, you get all these beers, you know, how you see farmhouse ales? Yes. Because that's what all the people used to drink 
who worked in the fields, you know, all the um, people that worked in agriculture, they would drink these super low alcohol beers all the time yeah. at lunchtime and during the day because they um, had some goodness in them and they didn't have very much alcohol. Right. But just enough, obviously, to keep them from a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read a book recently that said, uh, thank God for alcohol, otherwise we'd have all killed each other by now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, being in this industry, it would be interesting to see how it evolves anyway. Yeah. So do you um, – circling back here so do you uh the the business for you mm-hmm. like as you're talking i'm, I'm hearing like you, the, it's the business you love the business uh the, the product is a part of that but it's the whole collective of the business yeah i, I kind of alluded to where you were going or what what that looked like for you in the future yeah do you have any like do, do you being a part of the community i'm hearing that like you want to be yeah. a bigger um model a role model for the industry you're in yeah i think um that Probably I speak for Mike as well that we're enjoying that. Well, for me, definitely having felt so burnt out a couple of years ago, I'm really enjoying that again a lot more and seeing that um, we have the opportunity to do a lot of really positive stuff um, from, you know, the businesses that we source from, who we support. B Corp's been really good for that, giving us some focus on that. So you have the and I appreciate um, the smoker room a lot more. I enjoy being in there a lot more now and seeing what it has the ability to do to create a you know a place for conversation and community mm. and that you can um, you know people sometimes use the space for community things, which I really love. That makes me really happy. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes we get asked if we would sell it, you know, people often ask that actually, would you sell? (laughs) Um, And I think that we've never done anything with that intention. Like as in people do sometimes structure their business in a way that. Yeah. They want to get maximum return. Working towards a sale, you know, and they make all kinds of decisions based on an expected sale. And we haven't done that. We've tried to be sustainable in the sense that, we stay profitable. We pretty much do everything in house. You know, we have all our own sales team, do our own distribution, all of that kind of thing. But having said that, I do hold it more lightly now, and I don't feel like I have to take because what you know what you said before about do things come to an end? Do they? Does a business just uh, run its course? And now I feel more philosophical about that. Whatever comes of it, I'm not going to control it forever. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel more like there's a lot to do in your life and I don't want to grip super tight onto this forever. I mean, at the same time, you know, like we don't have it on the market or anything. <laughs> and maybe it'll maybe it'll be 10 years or 20 years more, but not with the same um, iron, flip, iron grip that we've had till now. Have you guys followed what's happened with Patagonia in the last little while? No, no. So they, um, are, they're kind of interesting to me because they're one of the top point scorers in B Corp. They're an amazing company, even though if you go into a store, it's all, you know, recycled plastic clothes. They're huge and they, um, have an, 
in B in the B Corp certification, the most points you can earn is two hundred, and they have an express goal of reaching the two hundred points. But it's a family owned business still, and I think it's worth three billion dollars or something. It's huge, and they've just transferred the ownership of it into a trust and I've read an article mm. about it and there's no it wasn't for a tax benefit or anything but they've essentially given it away to a separate organization that will run it and they generate profit of I don't know something like a hundred million dollars a year for and all the profit now is for um, initiatives relating to um, dealing with climate change so they've they've that was their end instead of selling it or listing it they gave it away wow that's incredible yeah my goodness isn't it amazing have have a read about it it's really cool they're a really amazing company and i I love that fascinating yeah thinking outside the box eh? yeah so many cool things there was a cool brewery it was another b corp certified brewery in the states called new belgium and they they sold about 10 years ago to their employees. Oh. Their employees collectively bought the business. Um, they recently just sold again to Lion, but for a long time it was employee-owned, or not Lion, but, you know. Even though you said, um, like, we didn't get this business to sell. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of difference right there because <laughs> – you know, business is about like we were talking about earlier. If it's just about the profit of the business, yeah, then you do it differently. Yeah, yeah. That was just a statement. There was no question. It was just cool. No, <laughs> I like it. What do you hope people get out of listening to something like this podcast? That's a really. I love this question. I've never been asked this before. This is great, <laughs> man. Have you considered being a podcast interviewer? Um, well, can I? Can I come and sit there too? I'd love that. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. You're welcome to. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you. And then I could promote your promote your yeah. uh, branding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, I, I've had a really big journey in the last five or so years with I don't know just within myself just huge changes in my worldview and the way that I um I guess as I started to understand myself and like and look at my own shadow side and um it really started to open up my life in a way that I hadn't experienced before and it came from listening to a lot of podcasts Mm. and Um, it's stuff that I never was told growing up. Like I just, the knowledge just wasn't shared with me and, um, and it really kind of saved me in a way that sounds so dramatic, but it like, it, it just, it really, really helped me. Um, and so I just hope that I can give that same gift back to young people, especially, but anybody really. Do you work with young people, don't you? You're teaching a teacher yeah it must be so valuable to you in your work well i mean it's an interesting thing because um i think it's valuable to to most students and stuff but 
they're young people, so they don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so you never ever get any feedback. So um, yeah. I occasionally get somebody say something, and you're just like, oh, are you? I am actually doing something that's meaningful to somebody. Well, that's nice. Um, that's true. There's such a long payback in what you do. I mean, it might be yeah. twenty years before they really appreciate what you do, and then they might just never get around to contacting you to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which sucks because one of my primary like ways that I kind of get love is through affirmation. And yeah. so um but anyway, that's man, we're getting we're getting deep towards us. This is not normally the case. Normally we're having to like push people for for deep. This is great. <laughs> well, that, that's that's kind of as well like the context that, that we started. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but it was like well, if we started to whatever we talked about, it always went deep straight away. And we were like, oh, well, it's just going to be a deep podcast. But um, having a place to be vulnerable almost, I think, invites other people to open up and not in, not in a non-threatening space. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what we found in our conversations, that there's no judgment on how you think, what you think, why you think. And it's just going on that journey. And, and and I think when I've listened to other people do that, I'm like, oh, you know, I can, I can open up a bit. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. are. When you do listen to podcasts and I, um, I don't listen to heaps actually, because I'm never, I don't know how to find them. You know, it's just amazed me, but you do feel like you are in a conversation, even though you're, if you're listening to one, you're not talking. You look, you do yeah. feel like you're right there, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so we both just kind of had this mutual thing. We, we, we had a lot of mutual circumstances that led to just needing some a space like the one you just described, just somewhere to provide open and honest dialogue because that's something I crave is just like having an open and honest discussion without fear yeah. of judgment. And yeah. I've had so much fear of judgment in my life. Um, yeah that it's never been it's never been there that that space to just share and and say something and not fear that it's the wrong thing to say so oh i do think for you as a kiwi bloke that's a really hard place to start to get to where you are now probably couldn't get further away yeah well that that's the funny thing and i've shared before on here that i just have never related to the the stereotypical kiwi man um and and that's come a lot as well with just the cultural change towards how people view masculinity and the, the term yeah. toxic masculinity is has come into the spotlight and for good reason because um that that uh testosterone can be thrown around in such a negative way and so not only have we had such like some pretty bad cultures in New Zealand but one of them is the drinking one that we mentioned the other one is yeah to be a man you've got to be out on the farm in your stubbies and gumboots there's just this cliched idea that you can have in your head but the other one is is just domestic violence and and abuse and mm. the way often it is men treating women and mm. i don't know there's just that that was basically in a nutshell like growing up was trying to navigate school with those sorts of gender scripts being thrown your way like oh, you're a guy, you should fit into X, Y, Z of a box. And I never did, yeah. so. And yeah. probably lots of people didn't, but no one could say, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you're, you're so scared somebody's going to tease you in front of your mates. Yeah. Should we be yeah. more like the Scots, Matt? 
I grew up in a pretty rough area, so it was very, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to leave. Uh, I, yeah. So I grew up, I was born in London, England. Yeah. And I grew up in uh, an island on the West Coast yeah. of Scotland. And uh, we had to get a ferry to school. Wow. Um, and so where, uh, to be a Scottish, I'm not sure how familiar you are, but to be uh, an English kid in a small Scottish town is is pretty pretty stand out. So I suppose I got teased a bit, but um, ever the optimist, I sort of forget about those things a little bit. And, uh, but I do remember the feeling of just wanting to leave and just like, I need to go and find my people. Um, and then New Zealand was that for me, just like, oh, this is, I don't, I can be whoever I want here. I don't have to try and conform to, and, and I think, you know, as well, like you'd have found that maybe with traveling is you don't, people don't know your history. They don't know your story. They don't know your family. They don't know. And so you're like, well, I'm just me, you know, I don't have to try and play the game. Um, and that's a great freedom, especially, I think it's important for young people to have that because you don't realize how much of your identity is formed from the, the surrounding, you know, your surroundings until you get a bit of independence and move out and go, Oh, like, Hey, uh, I can do the things I like. I can think the things I like, I can, you know, whatever. And uh, it's a great freedom. Um, I think every young person should. And, and yeah, it sort of does go through, I think, but, uh, it's so brave, I think to, to, um, be prepared to look all over the world for that. Most people don't, you know, probably even people who have the resources, the vast majority would stay exactly where they started. You think? Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. I think so as well. Like, um, uh, like, cause we're facing quite a big change in our lives, um, we're moving to the South Island to be uh, close to my wife's family. And I don't, I don't think people would often change unless they were absolutely forced to until it's until the pain becomes strong enough that it outweighs the comfort of staying where you are. It has to get to the certain threshold where it's like, it just pushes you over the line and you're like, I have to do something. Um, And I think that's where maybe I don't, I, I don't, I can't speak to this because I'm not, a woman in an abusive relationship, but I imagine that that could be the case if it's like you have to get pushed to a certain point mm. where it's like it's too painful to stay where you are and so you have to do something about it. Yeah, um, and I guess it's already a position of some privilege that you can act. Mm. I guess a lot of people feel like they don't have the don't have a choice, you know, can't move. Yeah, totally. Mm. And it must be interesting for you because if you, it's not when you're in a family and you make decisions as a family, it might not be that you're driven to that point. Yeah, that's right. You got your thinking for another person as well. Yeah. And who you have around you is like influence, eh? Because that, yeah. I think with abusive relationships, it's massive. It's like if you're in there on your own, mm. and that's how abusive relationships work, right? The, the abuser usually isolates the person. Yeah. Um, because community is so powerful. And, and if you don't have that community, um, it's so much harder when that threshold of pain point comes, it's like, I've got to leave. And then, then they do. And then a week later they're back because the community wasn't there for them. Yeah. I think pulling back to another point that you said that I would really resonated with was the letting, the, the letting go thing. 
was um i was like yeah that's something i've had to just work so hard at is mm. and this is going to happen with moving moving towns with when i'm yeah. thinking of the paddock the whole patagonia thing that you said um mm. just you because i think back five years ago i first started in my job and i started this department this music department from scratch and yeah. you build it you build this thing with your blood sweat and tears and you pour everything into it your passion you're just you're all and the thought of letting it go is like, what are you crazy? Like, why would I ever let that go? Um, and I think that just so perfectly describes the first half of life where you're just clinging so tightly to everything because you're trying to, you're trying to win, you're trying to beat everybody else and, and, and make a name for yourself and get out there and, and prove your worth. And you've given up so much to do it, you know, like you've, you've, you've lost a lot in a way. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, or you can feel like that, like, oh, well, I've done so much for it now. I'm not going to let it go now. You know? Yeah. You're like, well, would that all of that time just be wasted then? Be like, wasted. Totally. Yeah. I've only just got to that point very recently that I can. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Say that, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, hard, it's hard. And it just, I think it does take a lot of time and a lot of yeah. patience with yourself. And, um, because man, yeah. And I just think of the thing when we're talking about business and how you're saying like a business should maybe like 20 years and then it, it, another one can rise up to take its place. Yeah. But everything is just so competitive and it's like, okay, imagine Amazon just would like close their doors and they're like, we're going to make, make room for some young startup to come through and do, yeah. do things a bit more ethically. Um, I don't know, but would they, would that not just have people want to jump in and like turn that into the model, turn that into the, 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 the treadmill and, and keep it going. And like the competition of it all, like they're like, yes, my competitors out now we're going to be the best and we're going to take over the world and we're going to dominate everything. Mm. Like where, where does it come in where the, the side of us that wants to actually protect the planet and like, and make a good place for the next generations. Yeah. Where, how do we, nurture that side without I don't know I think you've got a break don't you mm. you also have a team you know so if we were to say okay well we're going to wrap it up my strongest sense of obligation or responsibility would be to the team we have mm. you know they'll be like like thinking about your family when you're making decision big decisions life yeah. changes like mm. we owe we owe it to them you know they've put immense amounts of discretionary effort into it yeah that extra bit yeah and we we you know we really try to make sure we're creating opportunities for people so i would feel i think that would be my greatest probably if it were just me um it would be different that's interesting because it is like the stage of life thing eh? when like you're, you're young and single you just think like this is what i'll do this is what i would do and then you hit sort of as as you grow and mature, it's like oh, you get connected. Mm. You just like well, it's not just me anymore. It's you know, I've got to think about another person. Yeah. And then if you have a family, other people, and then a business, uh, another community. Yeah. And you're constantly in this web of, and I think that's the most privileged position to be. But it sometimes feels to me like suffocation <laughs> but yeah very same thing can lead you to burnout right where you just feel like i can't look after everyone yeah so what wait okay with that 
how with how many kids do you have? Three. I mean, you talked about finding business quite hard. I can understand uh, why that's pressing. You've got three kids. How, how old are they? Um, they? So Sterling was one when we bought the brewery and he's 13 now. And then George is 11 and Bo's eight. Wow. So it's like full on years as well. Yeah. So they were born. I mean, I was pregnant with George when we bought the brewery and then we had Bo. Yeah. I've sort of been um, stockpiling my maternity leave. I'm threatening to take it all in. <laughs> Not show up for a year and a half. So, but do you, you said you feel in a better place now. Do you feel yeah. like you can look back and appreciate being in that web? I suppose. I don't know what yeah. other words I'm just thinking of how I just put it, but um, can you look back and go, yeah, that was, that was worthwhile? Or do you yeah. have regrets? Or it's such a good question. I think a couple of years ago, I probably was full of regret and felt like I wished I could do it all again and be particularly um, I probably think I was an attentive mother, but I wish I could remember it all and be there more for it, you know, but now I look at it differently. Um, Now I just see that this is just my path to learning the things I need to learn, which is now when I feel really very present and very, very grateful for my time with my kids and, more grateful for the business. I have a friend who said to me that it's really important to get your own narrative straight about what you're telling other people about your life and what you're telling, because you're telling yourself that too. And then that becomes the, mm. you know, your version of events is, it's really important how you speak about that. Yeah. And I think I've started to talk to myself and when asked other people differently about, this experience than I did a couple of years ago when I just felt like, oh, I wish <laughs> it was so much, you know? Yeah. Wow. But now I'm here because of it and in a much better place. How long was that? How, if you could put time, um, you know, beginning, middle, end, how, how long was that process to get there from going? How did you know that something wasn't right? Well, you know, when you just, you feel all these things, you feel resentful of going into work you feel like you don't care actually about anything you feel like you're useless at everything all those things and they all just add up and then one day I just googled burnout and I read it and it was that was the greatest moment ever because I realized that there was a that was a thing and I had it wow (laughs) and so that was good you know I was so relieved I was so it was like hallelujah I felt Mm. that was the greatest moment of all. Isn't it crazy how just putting language to something can help so much? Just having a word for it. You're like, I'm not alone. Because I didn't have the words myself. Mm. I didn't know what was going on, really. I think that's one of the best things about the internet. I know it's got so many pitfalls and so many people are addicted to their cell phones and whatnot, but you can find so much solidarity with people online who are going through the same things and, and you can just... I don't know, you can find information that's just there. And like, how would you have been able to do that if, if you didn't know what like to look 40 for? years ago, yeah. you'd be down at the library. <laughs> Wait, so you how long ago was that? So good. Um, I think that was probably two years ago. Wow. Yeah, maybe 18 months. Okay. Yeah, so not long. Wow. But it is interesting. I think it does help a lot to have a name on something did you feel pressure during that hard time to just have to like weather it out and like 
you know, the cliches are just soldier on, put your best foot forward and like, do you know what I mean? Um, I think I mostly felt that from myself, but what happens right. is I think, and this is the, what I, if I do talk to other women in business with young children is that you can do something so you can manage to work at home while looking after all your children, but it's hideous. You feel awful about it. And so there's a real risk that because it is physically possible to do something that you do it. Mm. Um, so I try, I have a friend who's in a similar position um, to what I was with it. She's got a new business. She has four children that are all under six. Oof, mate. And I'm always saying to her, <laughs> Don't do it. Just don't, just cause you can don't do it. You know, oh, that's intense. Yeah. Do you think she's a pretty like a uh, girl? Is she a personality that takes on too much? Yeah, totally. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say to myself back then. But it's like anyone when they're, when you're a parent with really young children, you don't even realize it takes you a while to realize that it's a lot. And that you can give yourself a bit of space, you know, like everyone tries to, often you see people who've just had a baby and they try and just maintain the same pace and the same life. And I look at them and I think, are you enjoying that? <laughs> Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been, but I wouldn't have known that I was okay not to either. And, and then it's hard to not look at other people and, and just want to like coach them through something or like <laughs> tell them what to do and all of this that you're like, yeah. it's so hard to just go, you know what? It's their journey. They're, yeah. they're on their own path and they'll probably come to this realization. It's just going to take yeah. time. And, um, cause and I'll be sucks. there to give them a hug at the end. Yeah, totally. Cause it sucks yeah. when somebody tries to tell you what to do. Oh, and, it sucks. And I hate it. Hate me, what to do. <laughs> but it's so tempting to try and do it to other I people know. when you see them struggling. I know it must be really yeah. hard when you're a teacher to go listen, kids. This is what I've learned. <laughs> listen, I'm the wise person at the front of this room. No, it's yeah, the, like, that would be the quickest way to make out. them hate you. Yeah, well, and that's just hideous, isn't it? Having to watch people mm. make mistakes you've already made. Mm. Yeah, it's a good conversation. This is, I'm like. I'm intrigued and learning a lot. Same, I'm loving it. It's great. Yeah, I'm just, I, I just love how like all over the place it's been, but in the best way. It's like <laughs> taking every yeah, little script. Yeah. And I love that, like, because some some people you interview, and, and it's nothing against them. It's just some sometimes you have to kind of like actually itemize out questions. And sometimes you just have like a general format. And this one, it's been like, just throw it out the window. It doesn't matter. It's great. I'm, I'm a How guy. do you think yeah. we can avoid that? Oh, sorry. Go, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, I met a guy the other day at the church I attend. Yeah. And he came up to me and he walks up to me and he's like, what would you like to have a conversation about? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're a legend, bro. Like, I was like, nobody's ever. It's like, why don't we just start conversations like that? That is <laughs> so good. It would be so much better than how's the weather like I these know. days. You know what? I think I could start talking about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So now you go. You what tell me that? what you're going to say. Oh, no, I was, um, well, I was just thinking, how do you, like, are we doomed to have to learn everything for ourselves? basically. 
I think we are. <laughs> I, I think we've, I heard somebody once say we've, we've, um, we've dishonored the elderly by calling them cute mm. because in a well-functioning society, elders are respected as having the wisdom yeah. and the pathway for life. And yeah. we have basically said, oh, put them on a postcard, put them in a meme. Uh, and we don't listen. Yeah. Whereas if I don't, you, you'd seen this in travel when I was over in Fiji, the, you know, I was doing, uh, stuff with youth and they had this immense respect for their elders. Mm. And I was like, our culture doesn't have that. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, and no. that, like if we could, if, if we, the, and the cost of that is that we, yeah, we do have to learn everything by ourselves yeah, because so we, we've thrown away the honoring of the elders. Yeah. yeah. I hear that, but on the same side, I'm like, I've heard some, a lot of people older than me with some pretty bad advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I had taken that advice. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah that's true too. See, fence sitting, can't decide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate. Oh, man. That was cool. Oh, man, this has been so good. Um, yeah, so fun. To, I'd like... I thought last week we, we did a two-hour podcast last week. Oh, no, it wasn't actually. It was a couple of weeks ago. I thought that was um, the winner, but we this has actually, <laughs> yes. you're the new winner, Kirsten. <laughs> trumped it. That's so um, so not only do you have award-winning beers, you've got the <laughs> longest time featured oh, on great. the podcast. Oh, great. So, um, and that's, a, that's an accomplishment worthy of just Yeah, four so consecutive much. Zoom meetings. So good. <laughs> Yeah, you see that? Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't buy a subscription. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I think you can have, um, it's really easy to have, you know, the imposter syndrome when you have a business. And it's been interesting for me because Mike is really, you know, he's the MD. He's really the boss. We have a really good partnership, which has taken a long time to figure out how to work really well together, but we do, but to, you know, make to kind of get to a point where you make sure you own your role and what you're offering mm. in the, in the, in a situation like this. Yeah. That's so good. And it's like part of, uh, you said you're finding your voice a little bit, like learn, learning to like get in the, get in amongst it. And I, I so relate to that, to that mm. imposter syndrome and just feeling like, I don't know, no matter how many degrees I get, no matter how many um, bits of knowledge I have, I always feel like I'm not good enough. Is it um, even a syndrome? Because no, doesn't everyone basically just feel like that, apart from the people that are psychopaths? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, or, you know, narcissists, yeah. apart from them. Doesn't everybody feel like that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, how would... You you have it right as a raging extrovert. You still have. Um, I might be a narcissist. <laughs> you <laughs> might be a psychopath. I, I, I have it, but, Which is um, it? not too bad. I I I'm pretty. Uh, I don't mind putting myself out there and getting laughed at. I don't know. Yeah. It's the Scotsman. Yeah. Beer helps. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I love that. But I love I love hearing your story. I love hearing. I think the great thing about podcasts and the way that Stephen and I have tried to to do it with people is we, we're interested in people and their stories more than the product of their life, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're coming on in our minds and we probably, I don't know if we failed to communicate this or if we did, 
or didn't, but um, like we're not wanting to interview Sawmill Brewery. Um, we want to interview, um, you know, Kirsty and her journey and her life and and how that interplays in, into Sawmill and everything else. And the cool thing about a podcast is it's a setting where people can listen in and and yeah, so I think that's been cool mm. being able to do that. And and your input is your story, you know, like that's. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's a very valid and, and powerful thing. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this are going to just pick up on things and be like, oh, I wish you'd talk more about that. Or <laughs> oh, that, there's that point that, you know. Yeah, uh, it's so true because uh, you can so easily get tangled up in your identity being about what you do. Yes, and I just love that this started with you talking about character traits that you have. Um, well, that's because you made me answer that question. Otherwise, I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no it was it's it's great so uh, any yeah, parting well, words you. i mean we've, uh, we've pretty much covered it all but i mean you might have something uh, still burning to say um i can't think of anything well i could probably just keep going for hours we could keep talking for hours but no i don't think i have anything burning to add what makes you come alive last question um being outside that is where i feel alive that's a great answer. Away from a screen. And conversation, honestly. A great conversation is one of the greatest mm. things. I do think the best things are basically free, which is swimming, reading, mm. and conversation. Isn't that funny? That yeah. the, the, the secrets of life are just right there in front of us. Yeah. The best things. And then you can have a great life with those things. That's amazing advice. Yeah. Whenever anybody says the best thing in life is free, it just takes me back to the best things in life are free. <laughs> now that I discovered Janet Jackson, so yeah. 1980 something. <laughs> the yeah. best advice tends to always be a cliche. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, um, thank you, guys. It has been amazing. I yeah, can't thanks. believe that you've given us this much time. It's great. Bye, guys. It was awesome to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. That was indeed the season finale for season two of the show. And what an epic finale it was. Four Zoom calls later, and we covered pretty much a little bit of everything. Some of my highlights were the more nuanced and self-reflective parts in regards to ethics and business, particularly around the addictive nature of alcohol and the burning of fossil fuels. If you'd like to support the show, head over to our Instagram page and give it a like and a follow. And if this episode helped you, then consider sharing it with a friend. All right, I'll see you all in the next one. Keep it fresh.